Let's say you get to have five votes when they want to change the algorithm or five votes when they want to decide whose content should be featured. For example, you get to have a say in how it's run. This is what is possible with the technology and what is most likely going to happen. Because if we think about Instagram, the main point of Instagram is to keep Meta's shareholders happy. And creators like you and I, we have been burned many, many times by the algorithm changes that prioritize the ads more than anything else, because ads make Meta money and that keeps their shareholders happy. And as a result, they keep changing the algorithm to make sure that they are getting their ads in front of more people. Welcome to Socialette. I'm your host, Steph Taylor. As a launch strategist and digital marketer, I've learned a lot of lessons the hard way while building a seven-figure online business. If you're an overwhelmed business owner struggling to scale while also keeping your clients happy, this podcast is for you. Join me as I share actionable advice for creating an online business that feels good and brings you so much joy. Are you on the list to get my daily biz boosters? Every day, I'll send you a bite-sized prompt that is designed to help you grow your business in a more intentional way. Sign up at stephtaylor.co slash dbb or at the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome back to Socialette. This is episode 525. Today, we're talking about something that's a little bit different to any of the things that I've talked about on this show before. But it's very much marketing related and it's going to be really relevant for all of us in the business realm or in the marketing world going forward, especially in the next couple of years. Now, you may already have heard of the term Web3 or it may be completely new to you, but chances are that you have already heard of some of the key Web3 concepts, things such as cryptocurrency, which I know can be a little bit ick uh, to talk about and to think about if you um, have a negative connotation of it already, uh, NFTs, blockchain, and a whole lot more. And we're going to dive into all of these and what they really mean, because chances are that you probably don't have a great perception of these to date. Uh, up to now, they've been something that's been associated mainly with investing and especially with speculation. It's been something that we've seen all of these, you know, TikTok crypto bros teaching us how to make a quick buck from buying the right NFT at the right time and, you know, selling and buying Bitcoin and all of those things. This episode, I'm not talking about any of that. I'm not talking about how to make money with Web3 or how to buy the right NFTs or anything even related to that train of thought. I'm talking about this rapid shift that we are making from the current online world we're in, which many have called Web2, to this new decentralized internet, which is Web3. And if you're wondering what crypto and NFTs have to do with all of that, Sit tight and I will explain in today's episode. This episode is an overview of Web3. And if you want to learn more about it, there is a big, big, big rabbit hole you can go down. I have just spent the last couple of weeks while I was on holiday uh, doing fun reading of all of the different concepts of Web3 and the potential applications that it's going to have for us as business owners and marketers. I'm really freaking excited. I haven't been this excited about something new in 
a long time, probably since I started really diving down the rabbit hole of launching. Now, I don't worry, I'm not pivoting away from launching. I'm not pivoting away from my existing business, but I am going to be talking a little bit more about these concepts as and when they become relevant to our market as a whole, because a big part of my role as a podcaster and serving in serving you guys, in serving my email list, my Instagram audience, a big part of that role is keeping you up to date and making sure that you have you know the most recent knowledge, the most uh, the things that as I'm learning them, I get to share them with you. And I think Web three is going to be a huge part of that. As a result, I have actually created a um, separate newsletter. I've called it Web three for Marketers. You can sign up for it Web three for Marketers dot com. I'll pop the link in the show notes as well. That is a separate newsletter, separate email list to my existing email. And it is going to be a weekly newsletter where I'm just keeping you up to date on what is happening in the Web3 space and why that is relevant to you as a marketer and a business owner, because you don't need to know all of the different concepts, at least not yet. And you don't need to know all of the latest news that's happening in the Web3 space because it does most of it won't concern you. But I'm cherry picking through it and curating it into a newsletter and giving you an explanation in a simple, as simple as possible format as to what that means for you as a business owner and as a marketer. So let's get back to basics. What the heck is Web3? <laughs> if we think about the different evolutions of the internet, this is probably the best way to start thinking about Web3. Web1, that was when the internet first came out. You know, you had your old Windows 95 and you could dial into your dial-up internet and load a website very, very, very slowly if you needed to get information on something. This was like the information economy. It was static websites that you would access for informational purposes. Um, There were maybe some blogs back then, but we didn't have any social media. It was like if you were researching some topic, you would go on there and you would search the topic and you would access a website and it would give you information, but you couldn't communicate with other people through those websites. Then we think about the next evolution. This was Web 2, and it became read and write. This was where we started participating in the internet through social media, and we started being able to contribute to the internet. Um, It became a lot more dynamic, but the problem was that it was a platform economy, or currently is a platform economy, and everything is owned by Facebook, or now called Meta, uh, Google, Apple, etc. These big companies control and own most of the internet. And when you, nowadays, when you go and post something on your Instagram account, you are essentially handing over ownership of your content to Meta. They can do whatever they want with it. They can show it to whomever they want. They can monetize it, right? They are profiting off your content by showing ads to people who are scrolling through the platform, whilst they are also limiting your reach as a creator. They are in control of that algorithm that determines how many people your content reaches. So they are essentially exploiting your content to make their company money. And the way that algorithms work is the algorithm is designed to keep people on Instagram or whatever platform it is, but in the, in the case of Instagram, the algorithm is designed to keep people scrolling and scrolling and scrolling on Instagram. 
And that is why we have seen changes like Instagram starting to prioritize reels, making it more, more like TikTok because they've realized, oh, if we can keep people scrolling, we can add more ads. We can make more money. They don't care about you, the creator. There is also a lot of, there's a lot of other stuff happening, right? So we look at your know, Instagram um, or Meta, sorry, Google, Apple. They are collating a lot of data based on how we as in- individuals behave on their platforms. If you have an iPhone on your phone, if you have an Android, Google's collecting that information. And it's no coincidence that they then show you an ad for exactly the pair of shoes that you are looking for. Sometimes it's convenient. Sometimes you're like, oh, I want a pair of shoes that are going to be really comfortable and look pretty. And then you get an ad for it. But other times it's a little bit creepy. Like we don't want them to have all that data because we now have less control over our privacy, our security, our personal information. So then that brings me to Web3, which is where we will read, write and own the internet. So Web2 is read and write. Web3 is read, write, and own. And instead of it being a platform economy where it's owned by Facebook, Meta, Google, Apple, etc., it's going to become a token economy. And we'll have a little bit, I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But instead of, essentially, instead of participating in and contributing to platforms that are owned and governed by Meta or in TikTok's case, ByteDance is the company that owns TikTok. Instead of that, these new platforms will be owned and governed by the users. That is you and me and everybody else who is participating in them. So we, the people who are using these platforms, are owning them and governing them. That is what people mean when they talk about the decentralized internet. So quite often when we hear Web3, the term Web3 or the concept Web3, people say, oh, it's the decentralized internet. But that as a concept is actually really hard to grasp. So I'm going to try and explain it as simply as possible as, you know, the people who are participating in it, they own it. That's decentralization rather than it being owned centrally by a couple of big corporations. Now, this is where the token economy comes into it all. So imagine a platform that is just like Instagram or TikTok. But let's call it Token Talk. Now, this doesn't exist. <laughs> and I apologize if there is already a company called that. I apologize. But let's just pretend this imaginary company is called Token Talk. And it's similar to Instagram or TikTok. But to sign up to Token Talk and be allowed to post content, you have to buy five Token Talk tokens. And let's pretend that the price of a Token Talk token today is $1. So five tokens at $1 is $5. Now, as a member of Token Talk, you have skin in the game. You have $5 invested in the future of Token Talk. But if more and more people want to join Token Talk, then the price of your Token Talk token might go up to $2, in which case your skin in the game is now worth $10. And it might sound a little bit like the point of this all is financial game, but it's not. The point is that as somebody with skin in the game, you are now incentivized to make sure that Token Talk is a great place to be. Because if people no longer want to be on Token Talk and the price of the Token Talk token drops to one cent, then you've effectively lost your investment. Now, the other amazing thing about the token economy is that people who are token holders get to have a say. So as somebody who owns five Token Talk tokens, 
let's say you get to have five votes when they want to change the algorithm or five votes when they want to decide whose content should be featured. For example, you get to have a say in how it's run. Now, this is all still, you know, future. It's not happening yet, but this is what is possible with the technology and what is most likely going to happen. Because if we think about Instagram, let's think about Instagram. Who loves Instagram right now? I mean, my hand's not up. Nobody's loving Instagram right now. The main point of Instagram is to keep Meta's shareholders happy. And creators like you and I, we have been burned many, many times by the algorithm changes that prioritize the ads more than anything else, because ads make Meta money and that keeps their shareholders happy. And as a result, they keep changing the algorithm to make sure that they are getting their ads in front of more people. And more and more of us, as a result of that, are starting to think of leaving the platform because we don't have any say in what the algorithm is going to be. We don't get to decide if um, we want the Instagram feed to be like TikTok or not. And that is, you know, as a creator, that's that leaves us pretty powerless. We don't have any skin in the game and we really just want to leave. But the things that keep us there, there are two things that keep us there. Firstly, we've built our audience on Instagram and that is a rented audience. We don't own that audience. We can't suddenly move to Twitter and take our Instagram audience with us. This is one of the reasons why I always say you need to build an email list as well. Because if Instagram were to shut down overnight, you own your email list. You can take that email list with you to different, uh, if you move from one email marketing tool to a different email marketing tool, but you can't take your Instagram audience with you elsewhere. And the other thing that keeps us on Instagram or on whatever social media platform we are on is the content we've shared on there. Yes, we can download that content, but to go and repost that content, we wouldn't have any of the existing engagement. And we would have to start from scratch, essentially. We don't want to start from scratch, so we stick it out. We stay on Instagram, hoping that if we just post the right content, maybe we can make the algorithm happy again. Yay, maybe Instagram will love us and maybe they will show us, show our content to the right people and we'll grow our audience and our business will market itself on Instagram. But that doesn't happen. And instead, Instagram or Meta keeps profiting off our content. The content that we spend time creating, they are making a profit from. Now, imagine again that you are a creator on Token Talk and you want to move to another platform for whatever reason. In Web3, in the Web3 world, you own your audience and you own your content. You could, hypothetically speaking, take that audience and that content wherever you wish to take it because a platform a platform like this will allow you to take your audience and your content with you. Now, I say hypothetically speaking because these platforms don't actually exist yet, but people are building them and it's just a matter of time. Now, this is just one use case for Web3. And if your head is exploding a little bit, I'm going to jump into the concepts that um, make all of this possible, right? So just to help you better understand it. Now, like I said, it is a rabbit hole. It can be really overwhelming. And I've included some of the cons some of the resources that have helped me to get a better understanding in the show notes. So if you want to read more and learn more after this episode, go and read some of the things that I've put in the show notes. Sign up for my newsletter at web3formarketers.com. 
And that will sort of keep you in the loop as all of these things happen. Right now, we are still very much ahead of the curve. But as we've seen in the past, it pays to be ahead of the curve. It pays to be in the early adopters or the early majority rather than somebody who's lagging behind and just trying to gain traction, let's say, on Instagram right now. Okay, so what are some of the key concepts in Web3? Now, like I said, I'm not going to go too deep into it because it can get really techy and really complicated really quickly. If you are interested in learning more, read what's in the show notes, but this is just so you can understand what all of these concepts are about. So the big thing that makes it all work, the big thing that underpins all of Web3 is blockchain technology. Now, the technical definition of blockchain, (laughs) and I'm going to take a sip of tea before I read this one, because it is a long, it's quite a long definition. Blockchain is a shared immutable ledger that facilitates the process of recording transactions and tracking assets in a business network. An asset can be tangible, like a house, car, cash, land, or intangible, such as intellectual property, patents, copyright, and branding. Yes. Okay. Complicated. I know. So when we think about assets, right, we can think about digital assets that might include your content. It might include your branding, your website, your online courses. It also does include things like your house, your car, cash. But it also, these digital assets, this is where the blockchain becomes really important because it's essentially creating a property rights system for things that we've never really had property rights for. You think about your house, for example. You can't just go and, um, you know, go and move into your neighbor's house. Your neighbor can't just suddenly move the um, boundaries of your land. That's where a property rights system is really important with physical assets. But we haven't had that for digital assets. And something you may have heard about quite a lot um, is NFTs. NFTs are a digital asset, and I'll talk a bit more about what those actually are in a minute. Now, one particular blockchain is Ethereum. Uh, there are other ones, but Ethereum is probably the most popular one, and that's where many of the most popular NFTs live. How a blockchain works is essentially it's a ledger. So it's recording these different transactions that are happening on the network. And each transaction that happens, so each time an asset is sold or transferred or whatever, that is recorded as a block. And then each block is connected to the previous block and the next block connects to it. And then together, these blocks form a chain of transactions that cannot be changed. So that chain is then called a blockchain. Now, blockchains are, they have a couple of benefits. Um, firstly, they cannot be changed. So once they have formed that chain, they cannot be changed. You can't go back and rewrite history, essentially. Uh, anyone can see that transaction history. So that transparency uh, can really help if you wanted to audit something, for example, or if you uh, wanted to see you know, how many times your house has been bought or sold and how much for. And it's tamper-proof. So that kind of makes it safe uh, from fraud. Now, the blockchain is maintained by a distributed network of miners and or, or validators. who And each of these people in the network essentially vote on how the next transaction or the next block will be recorded. You may have heard of Bitcoin mining. Um, those 
the the people who are mining Bitcoin, um, they are on that blockchain. They are voting on how each transaction will be recorded. Uh, but we tend not to talk about Bitcoin so much in um, this kind of context because it's really inefficient and it's also not very environmentally friendly. So now if we think about it, it, let me give you a really simplified analogy that helped me to understand how the blockchain works. If we think about Google Docs, for example, in a Google Doc that you're sharing with, say, five friends, you can go into the transaction history and you can see exactly who has made what changes and when and in which order. Yes, the the document itself can be changed, but we can't change that edit history. We can still always go back and see who made those changes. So if somebody's suddenly gone and deleted an entire page, we can go and, you know, yell at that person for deleting that page because we know that we can trust that edit history. Okay. So that's a broad overview of the blockchain, of blockchain technology. Next, we have smart contracts. Now, smart contracts are a piece of code that lives on the blockchain, and a smart contract is triggered when certain conditions are met. Uh, A really simple analogy that helped me to understand this was like a vending machine. You put a dollar in, and you press a button, and a bottle of water spits out. You know that when you put that money in and you press that button, that bottle of water is going to come out. Like There's that certainty that you know it's going to happen. One plus one equals two, essentially. Uh, an example of how this would relate to businesses like us, if we think about, uh, for example, a graphic designer and their client, let's say there's a smart contract where once the client pays, ownership of the digital asset, for example, their website or their branding or their logo, instantly or automatically transfers to the client as soon as that client pays. There's no need for the designer to go in and approve that. It just automatically happens. As soon as the client pays, watermarks are removed from their branding and their website and the assets or ownership of those assets automatically transfers to the clients. This creates certainty in the outcome. The client knows that they will get ownership of the website and the logo and all of those things. And the designer knows that they will get paid, which I have a lot of friends and people in my community who are graphic designers. And I know getting paid is not something that happens very easily for a lot of you. Uh, whereas the problem with traditional contracts is we don't always have that certainty. They require a lot of trust. We have to trust that the client's going to pay and the client has to trust that the designer is going to deliver those assets. And they also require interpretation. Otherwise, lawyers, <laughs> we wouldn't have lawyers, right? Uh, there wouldn't be a job for them. Now, if you are on a public If you're using a public blockchain like Ethereum for your smart contracts, then the smart contracts are visible to the public. So, for example, if you are buying a car, you could potentially see every time that the particular car has been bought or sold. So, you know, when that secondhand car dealer says, oh, it's only had one owner, you know, nice old lady owned it. You can look and you can see, well, actually, no, five people have owned it previously. And then... Essentially, every time that car is sold, that sale would be a smart contract that lives on the blockchain. And now because it's linked to what is called your wallet address, not your personal identity, it still protects your privacy. You are still anonymous. Okay, that's quite a lot so far to take in. I know. Blockchain, smart contracts. What's next? Tokens. So tokens are essentially digital assets that live on the blockchain. 
and can be transacted using smart contracts. You can buy them, you can sell them, you can transfer them, etc. If we think of the smart contract is like a, a contract that lives on the blockchain and is triggered when certain conditions that are programmed into it are met, the tokens are the assets that are being bought and sold and transferred on the blockchain. Now, we have two types of tokens, fungible and non-fungible. <laughs> I actually used to think that the word was fungible because it's spelt like fungus, but no, fungible and non-fungible. Now, non-fungible tokens are unique. You might have heard of NFTs. That's a non, that's what non-fungible token stands for. There is only, you know, one of this particular object. Fungible tokens, however, are not unique. So, one way to think of it is my puppy, Archie, there is only one Archie. He's a non-fungible token, essentially. But the money that I use to buy Archie is not unique, and it could be used to buy any other unique dog. You could give me a different dog that looks exactly the same, but it's not Archie. So fungible tokens include cryptocurrencies, like digital money, essentially, whereas NFTs are more like digital objects. Uh, at the moment, digital art, uh, digital art is quite hyped about, but they do have other use cases, and I'll talk about them a little bit in a minute. Uh, but for example, if we think about the graphic designer and client example that I had talked about in when we we're talking about smart contracts, uh, let's say the client is paying using a fungible token, like maybe they're paying in some kind of cryptocurrency, and once they pay, ownership of the digital asset the the branding or the website, that is a non-fungible token, an NFT. And that ownership of that token automatically transfers to the client. So essentially we're trading, you know, physical money and physical objects with digital money and digital objects. That's really at its most simplified form. That's what it is. Now if we think about some use cases, some example use cases of how this might play out in the real world, because it's all well and good at telling you these concepts, but to really help you understand how this plays out, let's talk about some ways that it's already happening. So, um, for example, I own an NFT that gives me access to a community called BFF. Uh, you can find them at mybff.xyz. That is an awesome community. They are really focused on empowering people to understand Web3 technology and how it can be used. And they, they've got a lot around education. It's a great community, awesome events. They have multiple live events each week. And as a holder of each NFT, you get access to perks. So perks like... um I get 30% off certain brands. I get freebies. I go in to win prizes. I can get, I'm eligible for all of these because I own an NFT of theirs. I'm part of this community and I'm incentivized to tell you about the community because the more desirable that the community becomes, the more the value of the NFT goes up. And also the more the value of the NFT goes up, the more they are incentivized to keep improving the community, put on more events, make it uh, provide more education, etc. And because I am incentivized to tell you about it, it also means that they don't have to spend as much marketing the community because everybody who's in that community has that incentive to talk about it. 
So we are marketing the community for them. We're all proud to be part of the community. That's one example of um, the utility, what we call utility, like the, the actual usefulness behind an NFT. Another use case that I found really interesting is fractional ownership of assets. So if we think about music, this has been happening a little bit in the music industry where certain artists might sell an NFT that gives somebody a 1% or 0.5% ownership of a song. And as a 0.5% owner of that song, the person who holds that NFT is eligible for 0.5% of that song's royalties, for example. And then if they want to go and sell that on, that they can sell that NFT on to somebody else in the future if they no, want, no longer want to own it. Same with my uh, BFF NFT. If I want, no longer want to be part of that community, I can go and sell that. I can pass it on to somebody else. Or if I have a friend or somebody who is in my network who I'm like, I don't want this anymore, but I think you're going to benefit from it. I can gift it to you. I can transfer it to you. Another really interesting use case that I, and this is, I mean, these are three of like thousands of use cases, but I found this one really interesting was more of a humanitarian use case where with refugees, for example, digital currencies that live on the blockchain, they can take these currencies with them anywhere if they flee. It is relatively stable in value compared with if they are in an economy where their um, actual fiat money is devaluing every single day. Um, but they've also got this digital currency that they can then convert into real money when needed. This is something that's not just a pie in the sky idea, right? This is actually happening in Kenya right now. Uh, the other future things, future use cases that are in the works with this is, you know, using um, blockchain as digital identification. So if you have to up and leave in the middle of the night, you don't have to worry about the fact that you don't have your ID card because your ID lives virtually. Future things like medical records, education, etc. These could all be NFTs. And I'm pretty sure I vaguely remember that um, certain one Australian state government, at least, is already keeping um, school records on the blockchain. That would mean that, you know, when you're 60 years old, if, for example, you need to access your school records for whatever reason, you don't have to go rummaging through all the paperwork because it's there digitally in perpetuity. And it means also that it can't be changed. So somebody who's, you know, applying for a job with a university qualification, there's no way that they can, that they can falsify that qualification because it's there. It's verified. It lives on the blockchain. Okay. So. Let's, let's think about this whole, let's, let's think about Web3 as a whole. Like, is this all legit or is it just some pie in the sky future thing that might one day happen, but isn't relevant to us right now? And this, this is a fair question because I get it. You don't want to waste that time deep diving into something that is never, ever going to eventuate. When the internet first came out, people said it wasn't going to be a thing. And then when smartphones, came out. People said that we would never use our smartphones as our primary way of accessing the internet. But look at it. We, we're glued to our smartphones. We can't live without internet. And if we look at some of the key signals that this is actually going to be, it, this is going to be a real thing and it's happening quicker than we can imagine. We've got, you know, VCs and investors pouring lots and lots of money into emerging 
apps and emerging Web3 technology. We've got influential people putting their name behind all of these projects that are coming up. We've got top in, top developers who are investing time into building these things. These people wouldn't be investing their time, their money, their energy into, and potentially their reputation, staking their reputation on these things, if they didn't think it was going to be something legit and something that's going to happen sooner than we think. So let's let's think about, okay, most of this is future use cases, future relevance. But what can you start to do right now to make sure that you are ahead of the curve? Uh, firstly, keep learning. There's all of the further reading I've included in the show notes. Sign up for my newsletter, web3formarketers.com, where I'll be breaking down some of these concepts and some of the things that are happening in the space in a way that's really easy for you to understand and apply to your business and to your marketing. And honestly, I have found that the best way to learn is to get involved. Find some communities out there, buy the NFT, get involved in the community, see what's happening, but make sure you learn a little bit first because there are scams that can happen. It's very easy to get caught up in a scam. So we want to make sure that we are participating in things that are legit and we want to make sure that we are taking the necessary precautions. So read that further reading and sign up for the newsletter and get involved. Um, that is it for today's episode. It won't, this is not going to be the last episode about Web3. And I'm actually thinking of starting up a second podcast, uh, probably in the last quarter of this year, dedicated to talking a little bit more about these different concepts and how we can start to dabble in them, start to dip our toes in and start to apply them to our businesses and to our marketing. So that is it for today's episode. Make sure you head to web3formarketers.com to sign up for the newsletter and make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time.